Today, if you're new, um, we are in a teaching series called Christ the King. And in this series, we are studying Matthew's gospel, which was written to reveal that Jesus is the great king that God promised to one day send into the world who would rule over an eternal kingdom. And uh, as we've been studying through Matthew's gospel, um, we have been doing mini-series, kind of grouping together the different teachings within Matthew's gospel. And last week, we just finished a series on the topic of true and false disciples. And having concluded that series last week, today we're kicking off a brand new teaching series within Matthew's gospel on the subject of Jesus's great power. Matthew wrote to reveal that Jesus is the king that God promised to send into the world, and Matthew does not reveal Jesus as some impotent king. No, he reveals Jesus as a very, very powerful king. And friends, that's what we see in Matthew chapter 8 and 9, Jesus the powerful king. Take a look. First, Matthew shows us Jesus' power over disease in verses 1 to 17, and then Jesus' power over nature in verses 23 to 27, and then Jesus' power over demons in verses 28 to 34, and then as we move into Matthew chapter 9, he shows us Jesus' power over sin in verses 1 to 8, and then finally Jesus' power over death in verses 18 to 26. In each week of this series, we're going to focus in on one aspect or another of Jesus' great power as well as various people's response to Jesus' great power. And now that you have the overview of the series, I'm eager to dive in to today's topic. Our text today is Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 17, and Matthew's focus in these verses is to highlight for us Jesus's power over disease. Can we say the theme out loud? Jesus's power over disease. That's what Matthew wrote verses 1 to 17 to show us. Friends, at Jesus's baptism, do you remember how the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove? Do you remember that? Well, the significance of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus was this. God the Father was appointing, uh, was, was anointing Jesus by the Holy Spirit with power. With the power to perform miracles. And that includes miracles of healing. Three of which we see in our text today. And we're going to move through them quickly because Matthew's overall goal is just to show us that Jesus has power over disease. And then, having gone through the text, we'll get into the application for our lives today. And let me just say this, um, because it's just, you know, I just want to mention it. Uh, Today's topic has special relevance for me. Um, I have uh, diabetes, and it's not the kind you can just get rid of if you lose 20 pounds or go for a walk each morning, okay? Uh, I I have a disease. I know some of you suffer from uh, MS, or maybe you've been diagnosed uh, with cancer. I know I have a, a, a friend with, a, with an illness, and my heart goes out to him, and I've been praying with him uh, even as early as just this morning. And so uh, I, this is not just theoretical for me. This is uh, of great interest because it's personal for me, as I know it is for many of you. 
So while I try to be thorough each and every week, let me tell you that I have been extra thorough for this particular topic. All right, if you're taking notes, let's look at the three different examples of Jesus demonstrating power over disease. The first is this. If you're taking notes, he shows his power over disease by healing a leper. By healing a leper. And we see this in verses 1 through 4. Matthew records when he, Jesus, came down from the mountain. So remember, Jesus has been preaching what we know as the Sermon on the Mount on the mountainside. So when he came down from the mountain, when he was done with his sermon, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will. In other words, I do will that you be clean. And he said, be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So in our first example, Jesus demonstrates his great power, specifically his power over disease by healing a man with leprosy. Now this is incredible. I mean, in the Old Testament, do you remember how the king of Aram sent the commander of his army, whose name was Naaman, to the king of Israel in order that the king of Israel might heal Naaman of his leprosy? And do you remember how the king of Israel replied? I mean, he was straight up irritated. He said this in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7. He said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? He was irritated because he knew the truth that healing leprosy, that's something that only God can do. And so here's Jesus in our passage healing leprosy. And friends, this was one of the many proofs that Jesus gave that he was God. By doing what only God can do, Jesus showed himself to be God. And this is why Jesus told the man to go and show himself to the priests for a proof to them. They were to see and believe based on the proof of the miracle. So in our first example, Jesus demonstrates his power over disease by healing someone with leprosy. Secondly, Jesus next demonstrates his power over disease by healing a paralytic. First a leper, now a paralytic. And we see this in verses 5 to 13. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, that means a Roman commander put in charge of a thousand soldiers. A centurion came to him. So here's a Gentile, not a Jew. And he came to Jesus asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, well, I'll go and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. In other words, Jesus, I know that you can command that same authority. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, this response, he was astonished. And he said to those following him, remember, there's huge crowds following him everywhere he goes. And Jesus says to the crowd, I say to you that many... And by many, he means that many other Gentiles 
in addition to this Gentile centurion. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, the Gentile lands to the east and the west of the land of Israel. They will come and they will take place. They will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom, referring to Jews who reject Jesus as Messiah, the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. So Jesus' second demonstration of power over disease comes by way of him healing a paralytic. Now, Jesus takes the miracle as an opportunity to go ahead and teach a little bit about who will one day dine and feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And he says it's those who have faith like this Gentile centurion. And anyone who does not believe on me as Lord, Jesus is saying, as the Gentile centurion is doing, that person, their place, will be in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is a clear reference to hell. But though Jesus gives a mini-teaching in the middle of the record of this record of Jesus healing the paralytic, Matthew's focus is clearly not so much on Jesus' teaching as it is on Jesus' demonstration of power over disease. And we know this because Matthew only dedicates three lines of ink to the teaching and six lines of ink to the healing. So we know that the healing is Matthew's focus. So that's what we're focused in on today. Jesus demonstrating his power over disease, not just by healing a leper, but secondly, by healing a paralytic. Thirdly, Here's our third and final example. Jesus, in verses 1 to 17, thirdly demonstrates his power over disease by healing a fever. And friends, understand this is a deadly fever. We read in verses 14 to 15, uh, when Jesus came into Peter's house, let's pause right there. Jesus had been doing the Sermon on the Mount. He had been out all day. He had climbed a mountainside. He had come down. Even when he came down, the crowds were pressing in around him, demanding many things of him. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. Jesus was busy. But now it's evening. Now it's dinner time. And so what do they do? They go to the Apostle Peter's uh, you know, home that he grew up in there, and, and they come to uh, you know, Peter's uh, mother-in-law. I'm, so, I'm sorry, not the house Peter grew up in. He comes to his mother-in-law's house, and what they're expecting is hopefully some dinner. After a long day of working, they're hungry, and they come into the house hoping to, to get some dinner, uh, but here's the deal. He, Jesus, saw that Peter's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever. Now, in our day and age, when we get a sniffle, what do we do? We take a me day, right? <laughs> we call out sick, you know? We use one of our sick days. If we don't have any sick days left, we use one of our vacation days. Well, let me tell you, in first century Israel, if someone is lying in bed with a fever, this is a serious, serious issue. Back in those days, they were just used to working through their pain because they didn't have me days. They didn't have X number of sick days per year. So people were just used to working through. They didn't have the luxuries that you and I have today where things will run and be fine even without us working on a particular day. But she being laid up in bed shows how serious this was. 
Jesus walked in and saw that Peter's mother-in-law was lying there in the bed with a fever. So he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Now, this miracle initially appears to pale in comparison to the first two mentioned in Matthew chapter 8. But here's the deal. Luke's record of this same event records how the fever was a high fever. Today, we call this hyperpyrexia. I remember several years back, one of our staff's children was in the hospital suffering from high fever. His temperature was 107 degrees. And when your temperature gets up high enough, you uh, run the risk of organ damage and or death. And we were all just praying to God for his healing, that he would recover, that he would be okay, because this was something serious. Well, friends, that, that's what was going on with Peter's mother-in-law. This, this was something very serious. This was a deadly fever. And Jesus comes in and heals her and shows yet another powerful demonstration that he has authority, power, dominion, sovereignty over disease. So this too was a mighty miracle on par with the first two. Now, anytime you and I look to scripture and see that Jesus has power over disease, it immediately raises the question in our mind, well, does Jesus still have power over disease? And we begin wondering about such things. Jesus healed them. Can Jesus heal me? Jesus healed them. Will Jesus heal me? And all kinds of other questions come up in our mind when we read uh, a passage like the one we're studying today uh, in Matthew 8. Well, friends, sadly, there is so much bad teaching concerning miracles of healing that's out there. Many people, sadly and unfortunately, because it just does so much damage, it causes people to be disappointed, it causes people to be disillusioned, it causes people to walk away from their faith, uh, and so it's very important today that we clear up uh, the misunderstanding. Many people nowadays think that Jesus performed the miracles that he performed, and the miracles that he performed were recorded by the various gospel writers for this purpose, so that you and I would know what our everyday life ought to look like as Christians. In other words, some people mistakenly think that Jesus performed miracles and the gospel writers recorded those miracles so that you and I would know today what's supposed to be normative in the life of a Christian, what we should regularly see happening day in and day out, week in and week out uh, in our lives. And friends, I regret to inform you, I wish it was different, but Unfortunately, Scripture simply does not teach that this is why Jesus performed these miracles, so that we would know what to expect in our everyday lives. So today I want to clear up any confusion by looking at the biblical purposes for which Jesus' miracles of healing were performed and recorded. Jesus did miracles of healing for very specific purposes and it's only when we understand what those purposes were that we can rightly understand the role that miracles of healing will have in our lives today. So let's get into it. Number one, Jesus performed miracles of healing, first and foremost, to fulfill messianic prophecy. So far in our study through Matthew's gospel, we've seen Jesus fulfill one prophecy after another. 
the prophet foretold that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And we've seen Jesus uh, fulfill that prophecy. Oh, the prophet foretold that Jesus would be born of the virgin. And we've seen Jesus fulfill that prophecy. The prophets foretold that Jesus would be born uh, in Nazareth and raised in, uh, not uh, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. And we have seen Jesus fulfill uh, those prophecies. And the list just goes on and on and on. And what we see concerning Jesus' miracles of healing is that they were performed for the same reason, to fulfill biblical prophecy. Take a look, Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Jesus did his miracles of healing to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. And here now is a quote from Isaiah 53. Matthew's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah said, he himself, referring to Messiah, took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now, though Isaiah here refers to the ministry of Messiah, that when he comes, he will eradicate disease, uh, this is not something that's only taught in Isaiah 53. This is something that's taught all throughout the book of Isaiah. For example, we read in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5, that at the time of Messiah's arrival on the earth, then, Isaiah says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then, when Messiah comes, shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And so, friends, Jesus came doing all of these things in order to fulfill the prophecies that were given about him when he came. And that's the first reason Jesus performed miracles of healing. Here's the second reason. Secondly, Jesus did miracles of healing to reveal his true identity. Remember when John the Baptist sent messengers to Jesus? John had been imprisoned. He was discouraged, even though he was convinced that Jesus was God's Messiah. Once he was in prison, he began to have doubts. And so he took some messengers and he said, go to Jesus and ask him this. Are you the Messiah or should we expect someone else? And do you remember how Jesus replied? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. In other words, Jesus' response was, I am fulfilling all the prophecies about Messiah. So you tell me if I'm the Messiah or not. In other words, Jesus let him know that the purpose of his miracles of healing were to confirm his identity as the Savior of the world. God wanted the identity of Messiah to be easily recognized he didn't want to make it a mystery so that we'd be really confused about who the Savior of the world is. God wanted to make it uh, clear. And so Jesus came, and he was the one and the only one making the blind see, making the deaf hear, making the lame walk. He was the only one cleansing the leper of his leprosy, making paralyzed people stand up, healing deadly fevers, so on and so forth. So you see, Jesus' miracles of healing, they weren't for the purpose only of fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. They were also performed for the purpose of revealing his true identity. And this leads really nicely to the third reason that Jesus performed miracles of healing. 
he did so to confirm the veracity of his message. So Jesus performed miracles of healing to confirm the truthfulness of everything he said. Now, friends, the reality is Jesus said some pretty astounding things, did he not? He said, I and the Father are one. So Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. That's John chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus claimed the ability to grant eternal life. I mean, what a claim that is, right? That's John chapter 3, verse 16. And Jesus even claimed to have the power to one day raise the dead for eternal judgment. That's John chapter 5, verses 21 to 22. Jesus, all throughout his ministry, made astounding claims. Jesus spoke astounding words. And God knew that normal people like you and I, like the people who lived back then, would have great difficulty believing that this was God in the flesh. He knew they'd have great difficulty believing that, that this is the one who has the power you know, to, to raise the dead and all these different things. And so... God, knowing the difficulty that people would have believing such astonishing words, gave Jesus the power to perform astonishing works, meaning mighty miracles that would prove the veracity of everything he claimed. And this is why the Apostle Peter says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. He says that Jesus was a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs. So, so we know that his message is true because God attested to the truthfulness of his message through the mighty miracles that he performed. All right, fourthly and finally, Jesus did miracles of healing, I love this one, to provide a foretaste of life in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, in Revelation chapter 21, the Apostle John has a vision of the kingdom of heaven. And he shares what it'll be like when we all live in the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. And here's what he recounts in his vision in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He says, at the time when we're living in the kingdom of heaven, he, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So, so follow me here. Friends, mourning and crying and pain, they stem primarily from sickness, disease, and suffering. Do they not? But in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, disease will be completely eradicated. Excuse me, the apostle John says here in Revelation 21 that in the kingdom of heaven, disease will be completely eradicated. So when Jesus came, at the time of his first coming, Jesus came and he healed, doing mighty miracles of healing. And he did so to give those he ministered to a foretaste of what life would be like in the eternal kingdom that he would rule over forever. And in eradicating disease from Israel during his ministry, Jesus proved that he possessed the power to do it in his future kingdom. And so we see the purposes of Jesus' miracles of healing. Friends, we looked at them one by one. Let's look at them real quick, once again, all together. Jesus performed miracles of healing to fulfill messianic prophecy, to reveal his true identity, to confirm the truthfulness of his message, and to provide a foretaste of what life will be like in the future kingdom of heaven. And now that you have the teaching, 
I want to share four important takeaways by way of practical application. Number one, here's the first thing I want you to know and understand today. The miracles of healing recorded in the Bible are not there to show us what everyday life is supposed to be like for a Christian. Friends, it's not that we don't see miracles today, it's just that we don't see miracles to the same extent as we saw in the life and ministry of Jesus. And that's because Jesus had the need to confirm his identity as one sent from God. Jesus had the need to confirm uh, the the truthfulness of everything he spoke about being able to forgive sins and raise the dead and and grant to others uh, eternal life. And Jesus had need to uh, prove that one day in his kingdom, he would completely eradicate disease. So he needed to give a foretaste of what life would be like in his eternal kingdom. But friends, do you and I have that same need? Do you and I need to attest and prove our divinity that we are God in the flesh? No. Do you and I need to prove that we can forgive sins and grant eternal life? No. Do you and I need to give to others a foretaste of what life will be like in the eternal kingdom that we rule over forever? No. And so it's not that we don't see miracles today, it's just that miracles aren't as frequent as they were in the life of Christ because those miracles were done for very specific purposes which we do not need to fulfill today. So number one, miracles of healing recorded in the Bible, they're not there to show us what's normative in the life of a Christian, what we're supposed to see day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out. Number two, Second takeaway is this, we aren't promised healing in every instance on this side of eternity. Now friends, let me give you a little mini teaching on the atonement and specifically what it purchased for us as believers. The the atonement, Jesus' death on the cross that provided atonement for sins. Theologians just commonly refer to it simply as the atonement. And friends, the atonement purchased for us several different things. Uh, Number one, it purchased for us uh, freedom from the power of sin. Secondly, it purchased for us victory over death. And thirdly, it provided for us physical healing from sickness and disease. But let me ask you a couple questions, none of which are trick questions, okay? So feel free to enthusiastically respond to the questions. All right, has Jesus purchased for us by dying on the cross, uh, freedom from the power of sin. Okay, but do we still sin on this side of eternity? Sadly, the answer is yes. And we know from Romans 7 why that is. Right now, our redeemed spirit lives in an unredeemed body. One day we die, and then one day the resurrection will come, and at the time of the resurrection, our redeemed spirit will receive a redeemed body to live in forever. And when you have a redeemed spirit living in a a redeemed body, then sin will have nothing to appeal to uh, within us and we will live sin-free. But here and now, Paul says, on this side of eternity, we will continue to struggle with sin so that sometimes we do those things that we know we ought not to do. Here's another question for you. Has Jesus' death on the cross purchased for us victory over death? Yes, absolutely. But do we still die? Yeah, last I checked, the death rate is actually 100%. Now, The resurrection of the dead 
is what gives us victory over death. Yet here on this side of eternity, we still die. Just like here on this side of eternity, we still sin. Okay, last question. Has Jesus' death on the cross, has the atonement purchased for us physical healing from sickness and disease? Not a trick question. Has it? Yes, Yes, 100%. But do we always experience the benefits of what Christ has purchased for us on this side of eternity? And friends, the answer is no. We are promised that in the kingdom of heaven, we will live without sickness, disease, suffering, and pain, and the crying that results from it. But that is not the case here and now. The Apostle John has just told us plainly that the eradication of disease will come when we live in the new heavens and the new earth only once, take a look, Revelation 21 verse 4, only once the former things have passed away. But friends, we're still living in this heaven and this earth, not the new heavens and the new earth. And unfortunately, we live in an earth that is cursed by sin. And when Adam and Eve sinned, sickness and disease and suffering and natural disasters and the like came into the world. And that doesn't go away just because we're followers of Jesus. We still suffer the results of the curse. Now, now, now this is a terrible world we live in, but praise be to God, Jesus has overcome this world. He's undoing the results of the curse. One day in heaven, there will be no curse of sin. But here and now, there is. And we love under it, unfortunately. We live under it, unfortunately. Okay, number three, third takeaway. Third thing I need you to know is this. Miracles of healing were rare until Christ's first coming and will continue to be rare until Christ's second coming. Friends, in the Old Testament, miracles of healing were extremely rare. By some estimates, you only see one miracle of healing per 1,000 years of Old Testament history. Miracles of healing in the Old Testament were extremely rare. But then Jesus comes along the savior of the world that God promised to send. And we see a miracle explosion in the life and ministry of Jesus. And now you know why we see a miracle explosion in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's for the four reasons we've already mentioned. It's to fulfill prophecy and confirm his identity and attest to the truthfulness of his message and to give us a foretaste of what life will be like in the eternal kingdom of Christ. But friends, now that Jesus has gone, one might say that we have returned back to a Old Testament level uh, of miracles. It's not that they don't happen, but it's just that they don't happen as often. Because again, do we need to confirm that we are God? No. Do we need to confirm that we will rule over a kingdom that has no disease in the future? No. So on and so forth. Having served their purpose... To confirm the claims of Christ that he was God and to confirm the claims of the apostles that Christ had risen from the dead, by as early as AD 64, miracles begin to taper off. All throughout the apostle Paul's ministry, when he went on his various missionary journeys, we see God doing powerful miracles in and through his life to confirm his message that Jesus had risen from the dead and was indeed the source of eternal life. 
But check this out. Around AD 64, uh, Paul's in prison. He's writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And Paul's right, you know, he's just about to die himself. He is at the end of his life. And check out what he writes to a young pastor named Timothy who was sick. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23. Paul says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine. Tap into the medicinal properties found in wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Paul says, take some medicine. I want you to note what he doesn't say. He doesn't say the atonement has purchased our physical healing and that means that we are guaranteed to be healed in every instance here and now, even on this side of eternity. So Paul clearly doesn't think that, that we are entitled to uh, miracles of healing in every instance. And that's why as miracles began to taper off in the world, Paul says, take some medicine for your frequent illnesses. Paul knew that the complete eradication of physical illness comes in the next life, not in this one. He knew it comes when the former things pass away. So clearly, he did not have the expectation that God would heal in every instance. In some instances, yes. In all, no. Now, we will see another miracle explosion that will take place at the time of Christ's second coming. All right? At the time of Christ's second coming, read the book of Revelation. It's going to be even crazier than the miracle explosion we saw at the time of his first coming. But until then... Just like in Old Testament times, miracles will continue to be rare. Not non-existent, just rare. Now, let me just kind of share my pastor's heart with you real quick before we get to the fourth and final point of application. I've been taught that truth is usually found in the middle of two extremes. Have you found that to be true in your own life? Way over here on one extreme end of the pendulum are those who say, Miracles were for Jesus and the apostles, and, and they have now ceased completely. No miracles. And that's just way over here on this end of the pendulum. Well, then at the other extreme end of the pendulum are those who say, miracles happen on every day that end in Y. And that is exactly what you should expect to see in your life. Miracle palooza. You pass a guy on the street and he's in a wheelchair, just pray for him and the power of Jesus will raise him to life. Oh, your family member's got cancer, just pray for him and Jesus will, will heal him. And, just, and they just are expecting miracles. Now, do they actually see that happen in their life? No. But the way they talk is like, oh, we just believe miracles should happen all the time, even on this side of eternity. So you've got those who believe no miracles past Jesus and the apostles. And then you have those that say miracle palooza is what we should live in today in our everyday life. Well, friends, I say again, truth is usually found in the middle of two extremes. I am not a cessationist because I don't see that in the Bible. There were miracles prior to the arrival of Christ's first coming, and, and, and I believe there's miracles now uh, until we come to the time of Christ's second coming. But the extent and the range and, and, the, and the number of them has just diminished back to what it was because God needed to affirm Jesus and his identity and the truthfulness of his message and give us a preview of what life would be like in his eternal kingdom. So we see a miracle explosion at the time of Christ's first coming and second. But for now, they will be rare. All right, point number four. And this is the final uh, point of application. And all of my sermon has been leading to this. So hang with me here. Number four, a biblical understanding of miracles of healing will help sustain your faith through sickness, disease, 
and suffering. Some might wrongly conclude, oh, this is a discouraging message. You've told me that miracles don't happen as often. Oh, man, I hate coming to church and being discouraged. Oh, no, 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 don't take it that way. No, 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 be encouraged. Because today I've given you a biblical understanding of miracles of healing, and now that you have that understanding, it will help to sustain your faith through sickness, disease, and suffering. If you've sat under poor biblical teaching, and as a result that Christ, and as a result you believe that Christ's death on the cross guarantees physical healing in every instance, even on this side of eternity, and then you get sick or are diagnosed with some disease, and you pray for healing, but you don't receive it, well, one of two things is going to happen. Number one, you are going to feel that you've let God down by not conjuring up the faith needed for healing. Or number two, you're going to feel that God has let you down by not being true to his word. So if you have a poor theology of miracles of healing, number one, you're going to feel guilty for not conjuring up the faith needed for a miracle, or you're going to feel betrayed feeling as though God has gone back on his word. And friends, I've been around not too long, but I've been around long enough to know that many people have walked away from the faith. They have abandoned their faith when sickness, disease, and suffering came into their life. And they walked away from the faith, they abandoned the faith because they did not have a proper biblical theology of miracles of healing like you all have received today. But when you understand what the Bible actually teaches about miracles of healing, friends, it changes everything. It's so different for the person with a rock-solid theology on miracles of healing. Let's say that such a person is diagnosed with cancer. Well, well, number one, they're not surprised. They're disappointed, but they're not surprised. Because they know that we live in a sin-cursed world. And they know that Sickness and disease and suffering is a part. So, so they're disappointed, but they're not surprised that it's happened. Now, having been diagnosed with a terrible disease, they turn to God in prayer and they ask him for healing. Like the leper, they say, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And you know what? They call their friends and their family. They turn to those in their small group. They reach out to the prayer chain uh, on, on Facebook, uh, on our Facebook page. They call or email the church and, and ask the pastors to join them in prayer. And you know what? We all begin praying for healing. Because after all, is God not Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer? And so we pray and we believe God for healing. And you know what? In the instances when someone is healed, we, we just go ahead and we give God praise. But let's pretend this is an instance where God chooses not to heal. This person who has a proper biblical theology on miracles of healing does not abandon the faith. Their whole faith system does not collapse because of some disease. Far from abandoning the faith, this person clings to it tighter than ever. They find comfort and peace and even joy in knowing that because of Jesus' death on the cross, they're one day going to live in a world devoid of sickness, disease, and suffering. And by God's grace, they patiently and gracefully endure their hardship knowing this, that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
In other words, they can patiently and gracefully endure their hardship, even maintaining joy in the middle of it because they know that one day the rich glories of heaven will completely eclipse any and all earthly suffering that we experience now here on earth. And for this hope of heaven, provided by Jesus' death on the cross, they give God praise. They do not walk away from the faith. They do not conclude that God has betrayed them. They give God praise. Even though their circumstance hasn't changed, they give God praise. So friends, do you see? I am not trying to discourage you from seeking the Lord for healing. I'm trying to help you develop a faith that does not crumble when the inevitable trials of this life come your way. I want us as a church to face adversity and remain faithful to the Lord. I want us to draw close to the Lord in the face of difficulties, not abandon our faith. And to do this, we have to have a proper and biblical understanding of the purpose and role of miracles of healing. It is such a proper understanding that enables us to hold tight to the hope of heaven where things will be very, very different than they are now. Friends, in closing, I want to ask you, do you have this hope of heaven? Do you have the hope that one day when you die, you will live as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus will rule over forever? The Bible says that the present things, the present heavens and earth will one day pass away and be replaced by a new heavens and a new earth and the people of God will live there forever under the righteous rule of Jesus. And the awesome news of the gospel is that you can too through faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the great King that God promised to send into the world and who he did send into the world. But friends, the only thing that will keep us from living there in the kingdom of heaven under the righteous rule of Christ is sin. Sin puts a barrier between us and God so that when we die, we cannot cross over to God. But again, Jesus' death on the cross, it's the very thing that, that purchased our freedom from the penalty that God's law demands for sin, which is death. So if you'll today put your faith and trust in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, God will forgive you of your sins. He will cancel the penalty that God's law demands for sin. And he will remove the barrier of sin that will keep you from God when you die. If you want that today, so that you too can have the hope of heaven, no matter what you might go through here on earth, sickness, disease, suffering, or whatever, I want to invite you to join me in our closing prayer. So would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? And would you say this to God in your hearts? Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving Jesus authority and power and dominion over disease. It's through his healing miracles that I recognize him as your promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. God, I might have missed him had he not made the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear and the mute sing for joy. But I praise you, God, that you've left it unmistakable. So today I place my faith and trust in the Jesus who confirmed his identity and message through mighty miracles of healing. It's because of them that I have every confidence that one day I will live forever in a place without sickness, disease, suffering, or death. Please forgive me of my sins today so that the barrier of sin won't prevent me from coming to you when I die. 
And God, if in this life I do suffer sickness or disease, God, I pray that you would heal because you're Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. So God, if I do suffer that in this life, I pray that you would heal. But if for some reason you should choose not to heal, please give me the grace and the patience to endure. Help me to not abandon my faith, but hold all the tighter to it until the day where the wonderful glories of heaven completely eclipse any earthly suffering. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. We would love to connect with you even more, so be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.